1: All right, everybody, welcome to episode number 67 of Sports Cards Live. 67, here it is. All right, before we get into tonight's episode, I want to thank last Saturday's guest, Ken Reed from Sportsnet, who was an awesome guest. He had just released his new book called One to Remember. I have it right here. I read it. It's a page turner. I recommend it. Some great stories in there. Check that out. I also want to thank last Wednesday's guest, Brian Gray. We talked about, you know, state of the market. We talked about the PSA acquisition, among many other things. So check that one out too. This Wednesday, no episode. I will be appearing on the virtual holiday sports card conference that is put on by Sports Card Investor and eBay. So check that out. That'll be streaming live on the Sports Card Investor YouTube channel. Next Saturday, my guest will be Michael Hodges from St. Louis Sports and the Clubhouse. All right. I want to welcome any new viewers, any new listeners. Welcome to Sports Cards Live. We're closing in on 1,600 subscribers on YouTube, and the uh, podcast listener count is growing every day. So thank you to everyone who's watching. If you've not yet subscribed to the channel, please go ahead and do so. I'd greatly appreciate that. I want to shout out the big Three sports cards. If you are not yet following these guys on Instagram, there's their there's their handle on the bottom at the big three hockey. Give them a follow. Great guys, love what they're doing in the hobby. Check them out, and I thank them for their support. As always, your comments and questions are in play tonight. So do not be shy. Feel free to bring your questions for Joe and Travis. We would love to have them throughout the evening. So, Again, bring them, and we will be doing card of the day at the end of the episode. All right. Tonight's guest made his NHL debut for the Pittsburgh Penguins in 1968. He also played for the Buffalo Sabres, the Detroit Red Wings, before winning championships with Bobby Hall for the Winnipeg Jets in the World Hockey Association. In the late 80s, he and son Travis opened Joe Daly Sports Cards in Winnipeg, and they are still open and operating. Pretty awesome. Awesome. From Winnipeg, Canada, one of my original LCS owners, Joe and Travis Daly. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight?
0: Hey,
2: Jeremy. Thanks for having us, and uh, we're doing fine. The weather out here is not uh, winterish-like. We can uh, pretty much stand outside in our uh, T-shirt and uh, not freeze to death. So, yeah, we're pretty happy as far as the weather goes, and... uh, course our covid uh, lockdown isn't helping but uh, we're making the best of a bad situation
1: good to hear joe i'm glad to hear it it's great to see you i mean well i'll be honest we hung out the other night it was nice to see what was that last night it was great to see you then too but um it's great to have you here travis i want to hear from you how are you doing tonight buddy fantastic good man of many words i love it i love it so okay before we get into the episodes tonight i do have a message to pass along to you i had ken reed on the show a week ago today and at the end of the episode he mentioned joe that uh, you were the first person he called when he started writing his books and i said well i'm having him on the show next week i'll say hi for you so he sends his regards i wanted to share that with you tonight thank you yeah for sure nice guy great guy so all right, I used to do this on these episodes where I'd spend the beginning kind of uh, explaining to the viewers how I know the guests. And I kind of got away from that for a while. But I want to, it's important here tonight with you guys because I know you guys. I've known you guys for what feels like uh, my whole life. So obviously you're in Winnipeg. You've had Joe Daly Sports Cards in Winnipeg. And now you've changed it to Joe Daly Sports and Framing. You've, you've branched out. You've found ways to keep the business going during what, what has been, you know, there's been ups and downs over the years. So commend you for that. Um, but uh, you know, just so people understand, like I used I grew up in Winnipeg and I was going to card shops in the mid to late 80s, and Joe Daly Sports Cards was one that of course everybody was going to. So, Joe, I mean, I remember coming into the shop every Saturday, hanging out for for several hours at a time, you know, looking in the showcases, saving up my money so that I could come back next week and, you know, kind of eyeing out what I'd want for the next week when I would save up some money and come back. But um, I mean, I've known you like We've known each other since 88, 87, 88, somewhere in there. Like it's 30 years already.
2: It is a long time. Uh, Time goes by uh, rather quickly, uh, especially when you're at my age. But uh, yeah, those days were uh, something else. I mean, I can remember a Saturday morning where the lineup would be outside waiting for us to open up. And of course, uh, we went through uh, that great period of time when uh, when sports cards were... uh, the thing, and uh, then we went into a bit of a tailspin, and certainly when the, uh, when the Jets left, it hurt us, but uh, yeah, the hobby has been a lot of fun for us, and uh, I always say you're a customer the first time and a friend the second, and it's quite obvious by our relationship that we have uh, made a lot of friends in the industry, and, and uh, certainly uh, uh, you're proof of it
1: yeah no, for sure. so couple couple stories that I remember from the good old days. So the first one was you had in your in the store on St. James across from Polo Park Shopping Center, you had your showcase under the cash register that that had some a uh, few cards in it. It was you know the see-through glass top. And you had two Bobby Hall rookie cards that sat in there for quite some time. And I remember coming in and just ogling over them and like looking at them and, saying, I don't know, I think I want to buy one. I don't know which one. You know, I was working a part-time job. I was in high school, saving my money. I eventually bought one of them from you. And uh, and that was that was like the biggest card I'd ever, I think I paid you 800 bucks for this card in like 1989. I'm sure people watching right now can remember those two Bobby Halls sitting in your store. And I remember the day I bought one, it was it was like a huge day. It was the most I'd ever spent on a card. That We're talking 1988, 89, again, it's a while ago, you know? but that's, that's a story I'll never forget. I I had that card for many years. I actually had it graded in 2008 and it came back at PSA five. I'm, I'm not too pleased because I later upgraded that card and I sold the five and I kind of wish I had it because I would have great sentimental value uh, for that card because of the story behind it, you know, buying it from you and all that. So that's the first story. The second story, Travis, this is hilarious because I remember, you know, you were working in the store with your dad and I remember coming in one day and, uh, you had a jose canseco rookie card in the showcase i really wanted this jose canseco i i forget the price 100 125 150 dollars something like that pre-grading of course so i had just gotten maybe a new car stereo and we we made a trade travis i traded you my portable cd player that it was the kind that you would like put velcro on and put it on the the dash of your car and you'd stick the power outlet in the cigarette lighter and then it also had another cord with like this fake cassette tape that you'd put in your cassette tape uh, player in the in the car's dashboard. And you that's how you would listen to CDs in like probably, I don't know, 88, 89, 90, somewhere back then. Do you do you remember that trade? I do.
0: And and <laughs> I, I don't know whether I ever told you, but somebody broke into my truck shortly after the trade and that's all they took from it. So it, it didn't last long. I'm guessing the Canseco
1: lasted longer
0: than your CD player did.
1: Uh, it probably did. I think I <laughs> ended up getting that card graded too. And I, I I have one right now. It could still be the same one. But um, that, was, that was pretty funny. I don't know how many people traded away, you know, your car CD player for a Jose Canseco rookie back in the late 80s. I may have been yeah. the only one. And you were the only one on the other side of that kind of trade. But that was fun. And the last thing I remember, Joe, and I don't know that you'll remember this, but again, I certainly do. So in 1990, I took off to Australia for about 10 months right out of high school. And let's keep in mind, no, this is before cell phones. This is before email. And I would write letters home to my parents, to my, to my siblings, to my cousins and to Joe Daly. That's who got letters from me from Australia. I sent (laughs) a letter or two straight to the store. So that's, that, that just, you know, goes to show like how we were friends, still are. And, uh, you know, I come to Winnipeg now for, for family events and, whatever, whatever I need to get there for every so often. I, of course, still have family there. And every time I do, I come by and say hello. And it's always sort of a highlight to come and see what you got in the showcases. And I end up usually picking up a card or two. So yeah, that's, that's our history for everybody watching. That's why this is a a special episode for me. So I'm glad to have you guys uh so before we get into some topics because we're going to talk about the shop the hobby your playing days highlights all that kind of stuff joe we're going to welcome the people to the show that we have with us we got some comments that have poured in so let's say hello to everybody we got rondell rondell says hello to everyone jeremy will be strapping on the skates again tonight and joe has the net well defended let's have a great show thank you rondell tiger in the house a time well spent is time with jeremy and sports cards live thank you tiger Charles says welcome to the show guys this is going to be amazing Paul C welcome to you Terry good evening everyone oh good to hear you got the cards uh Terry glad to hear it thank you for letting me know Hattrick Heroes Jeremy Joe Travis Woo, Manitoba Roots in the house yes we are Chris West is there good evening to you Matt Chang hello to you Dennis Lescombe good evening and back again for a great show happy to have you Joe Perot, all hail LCS folks, their commitment, providing us with a hub of collecting, especially in the old days, in the long ago times before the internet. Yeah, and these guys are still going strong. Like I said earlier, 30 uh, something years now, guys, like what year did you open, Joe? I don't remember.
2: Yeah, well, we, uh, we, we opened a small shop, uh, actually bought an existing, uh, I won't call it a card shop because it was a variety of things, but we bought it and uh, before we moved over onto St. James Street there. Uh, so uh, we were 24 years on St. James Street, and eight years where we are now, and probably about eight or ten months uh, when we got started. So, you know, it's been a long haul, but it's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, you, you guys have you guys have you've been through the ups and the downs, and we're going to get to that. I want to say hello to a few more people, and then uh, we will get into some more stuff. There, Chris West says that trade worked out well. Jeremy, they are likely both worth the same today. <laughs> Very- <laughs> Very true, Chris. Very true. Tiger yeah. says, oh, yeah, I had one of those portable CD players with a tape deck connect to the car stereo. We've come a long way. Yes, we have. <laughs> those were the days, Trav, you'll remember. I mean, getting your car broken into uh, was a regular occurrence, and what they were going for was your car stereo. That's what they wanted because no one left valuables in the car. You know, if you did, well, you maybe deserve to have it stolen, but people were going for car. That, those were the days when you would take the faceplate off the dash yeah. with you Remember that? I mean, what happened those days? Rob Demare, welcome to the show. This is a great moment for Joe and Trav to share together. Congrats, guys. Awesome. LP Hockey Cards. It's Luck from Winnipeg. Luke. Luke from Winnipeg. Good evening, Luke. Patrick says, man, I'm glad to see this episode live. Joe and Travis are awesome. LCS in Winnipeg, if you didn't already know. And yeah, I mean, obviously... You know, let's take this opportunity to say, anyone watching, if you're ever in Winnipeg, if you live in Winnipeg, but if you ever get to Winnipeg, you got to go visit these guys. Joe, will, you know, you'll see tonight. He loves to he loves to talk, loves to make friends, loves to talk about the hobby, hockey, everything like that. Bobby Burrell says, "Hey, Jeremy, really looking forward to hearing some great stories from Joe and Travis." Welcome to the show, Bobby. Colin Murray, good evening to you. The discman was popular," says Terry. "Yes, it was. The discman was popular back in the day. Remember those yellow Sony discmans? I remember those. Okay, guys. So, Joe, you know, I wanted to know. You played in the NHL. You played in the WHA, the NHL, and then you went into the the sports card business. Tell us how did you get into the sports card business in the first place?
2: Well, uh, one weekend. Uh sitting at home and, uh, talking with Travis and he was about 19 years old, I guess. And he said, dad, why don't we find something that we can grow with? And, uh, you know, we, we always talked about, uh, you know, whether we had the ability or the wherewithal to get into business of some sort and kind of strive along on our own. And, uh, so I said, yeah, well, let's uh, let's see what we can do. We picked up the weekend paper and a fella had a little shop for, for sale. He had some sports cards. He had some, the beer signs that you would put in a man cave today, you know, the uh, neon signs. And he had some candy uh, that he was bringing up from the States that uh, wasn't necessarily readily available in Winnipeg. And so he had a haberdashery of, of sorts. And uh, so we went and had a look at it and, Next thing I know, uh, we bought it, and uh, so we uh, we were plodding along uh, in this location, which was quite a ways away from uh, where we ended up over on Saint James, where where the arena and the stadium were. And uh, how we ended up there was, uh, Travis said, "Dad, we got to find a better location than where we got started with," and so he. Uh, he went off and he came back one day and he said, I think I found the perfect location. And I said, cool. He said, uh, yeah, but, uh, they want us to sign a three-year lease. And I swallowed hard and his mom said, uh, you got to give the kid a chance. So, uh, way we went and, uh, opened up over on St. James street there in Winnipeg. And, and, uh, yeah, the first year or so was pretty tough. I, I was going into my pocket to help pay the rent and, uh, and then all of a sudden the boom hit. So I said, uh, well, I guess, you know, uh, our good fortune is that uh, this thing is taking off a little bit. And and uh, the next thing you know, uh, the stores were opening up like uh, we called it like mushrooms growing. Uh, every corner in Winnipeg had a shop opening up. And, and of course, um, you know, there was a, a few that were. Established, so to speak, uh, that had been around like uh, ABD cards was around. Uh, they were the one that I think everybody went to because uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a popular thing for for certainly young adults. It was okay for the kids to brag about the the sports cards they had, but it seemed to be more uh, leaning to towards that than saying uh, you know guys weren't going to work bragging about the Bobby Orr card they had in their safety deposit box. So. Uh, I think we were fortunate, and then, of course, uh, uh, wherever the uh, the boom came from, uh, it's uh, the the explosion hit in the early '90s there, and and uh, it was our good fortune to be in business and established at that time. And and of course, uh, we all know uh, what happened during that time period. And and uh, yeah, so that's basically how we got
1: started. All right, yeah. Makes sense. And I mean, you know, like I said before, you, you've been through a lot, you've been through the ups, the downs. So let's talk a little bit. I remember, you know, the early 90s, like you said, shops were popping up like mushrooms. I I was one of them. You know, we opened up a shop uh, in 91 in, in, in Winnipeg in the South End, and we were around for about two and a half, three years. So, you know, it, it I remember that so well, shops everywhere, you know, there was no real price shopping everyone was selling the same thing at the same prices it was really at that point it was just convenience more than destination i think but and boy how that certainly has changed let's talk a little bit about the jets so the winnipeg jets were obviously the the professional team in town the big hockey team nhl team 1996 rolls around and they moved down to phoenix arizona or glendale arizona how did that impact the business? How did that impact the hobby and the business for you guys and the other shops in uh, in Winnipeg?
2: Well, you it, it certainly initially uh, it, it, we didn't feel it initially, but as time went on, uh, people got uh, you know they were down because we lost our franchise, and uh, and we noticed uh, you know kids were drifting away and getting into some of the. Uh, uh the other cards uh, such as uh you know the pokemon stuff and and uh that type of stuff was taken on, on its its own little life and uh and and i i even know that for, for a fact that uh, people stopped watching uh hockey because we had lost our team so when you stop having that type of interest uh, it it certainly um blends its way into your lifestyle and and people drifted away from from the cards and so it, it really impacted us a lot and uh, um, you know I uh, there was days that I wasn't sure that it was going to be worth my while to hang on and continue and uh, um, for whatever reason I hung in there and you know Travis had had uh, gone on to other things and ended up down in Phoenix for six years, believe it or not. And, and uh, you know, he, I think he tried to encourage me to hang on. And, 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 you know, he was always giving me more information than advice, but uh, you know, try this dad, try that dad. And uh, so it was tough. I mean, I took on a Ticketmaster master uh, outlet so that uh, I thought it would be, you know driving some people to the store, but I, I found out in the long run that that was interfering because uh, people wanted to come in and browse around and uh, talk about cards. And, and I was having to pay quite a close attention to selling uh, concert tickets. So uh, in the end, I, I realized I had probably made a mistake uh, taking that on, but um, certainly uh, when the Jets came back, uh, that was a big boost. Cause I, I had people coming in the store Telling me that they had actually stopped watching hockey and they lost interest in it, and uh, I think everybody was just down, and uh, and certainly uh, the card industry in in our city was down, and um, you know uh, everybody thought uh, the hobby shops are going to fade away, and and so uh, thankfully and luckily I, I hung in, and then Travis decided to come back to Winnipeg. Uh, uh, he, you know, he had, had a daughter and, uh, I think you realized he was a long way away from family support. And, uh, anyways, he, he came back and, uh, the team was here and business was starting to perk up again. And, and he, uh, he, he had always had a love for, for the industry and, uh, said that I, th- I think I'd like to come back in. And I said, well, you're the one that's going to make it work. And, and he has. So, uh, uh, yeah, we were very fortunate to hang in, and now we're reaping the rewards and benefit of being around.
1: So, Travis, when the Jets left in '96, were you in Winnipeg at that time, or had you already gone to Phoenix?
0: No, I was here still. Yeah, I, oh. I, I didn't. Leave, I didn't leave here until 2000.
1: Okay, so I'm. I'm just a little curious. From my own, you know, <laughs> from being from Winnipeg, my own. My own interest is when the Jets left, and I mean, people still came in the shop, maybe not as often, but you still had people come in. Were they? did Winnipeg Jets fans start cheering for other teams? Like I remember when they left, I was still there and I, here we are, no team. So some people started cheering for the Montreal Canadians, the, the Maple Leafs, the Oilers, the Flames, the Canucks. I kind of couldn't find a team I loved. I think for a while, I think at one point I had to go do some work in Ottawa. I went to a game there, bought a Jersey, called myself an Ottawa Senators fan. That lasted about two weeks. Just, you know, my heart wasn't in it. What? Yeah. Where did Winnipeg hockey, fa- I, Joe, you said that, People just stopped watching. But I have to think some people didn't give it up altogether. So the people that didn't give it up altogether, do either of you remember? Like, were they cheering for other teams? Were they cheering for players? Or was it just like hockey's dead and uh, we're not interested anymore?
0: It it was a bit of both. Like, I think you said players. There were some people that strictly went and said, okay, I'm going to watch, cheer for the best player in the game, whoever it was. Um, I think gradually – you know, wasn't right away. People didn't just say, "Okay, I'm not a Jet fan anymore. I'm going to cheer for so and so." I don't think anybody followed them to the Phoenix and became Phoenix fans. Uh, I think a lot, you know, picked another Canadian team, uh, picked the team with the best player. Um, even today, we still get people coming in today saying, "You know, Chicago is my team. I'll cheer for the Jets now, but I cheered for Chicago for 15 years while the Jets were gone." So they're still Chicago fans or, or whatever the team is. So we still hear it now how they had to find another team to cheer for. But I, I do think it took a while. It wasn't like overnight where the team left and they decided, okay, I'm going
1: to pick another team. They kind of almost grew into it. You know, I think the biggest problem – sorry, Joe, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, of course, in the West here, you know, if depending on the age of the person, but you go, you go back a, a number of years – uh, to the original six. And so you always had Leaf fans and still do today. You always had Montreal Canadian fans and you still do today. So, and and then there's those that grew up, uh, their dad was a Bruin fan. And so they grew up a Bruin fan and, and so on. So, you know, those traditions carry on. And, and like Travis said, they, they carry on into today where. If, if the Jets are playing their favorite team, uh, it's a toss up who, who they really want to win, but uh yeah, for sure, and and I think that's that's what happened was that, uh, and then of course when we got the uh, the moose here, and uh, which was in the international league before they went into the American league, and then there was a connection between them, and uh, they uh, they became a farm team for Vancouver. Vancouver sent us a few t- uh, players here, so there's the odd person that said, ah, you know, let's hope Vancouver does well, or at least there was a connection between maybe seeing that kid play here in Winnipeg and, and then he was going up to the Vancouver Canucks. So, but um, yeah, like Travis says, still today, I mean, you've got a variety of, of uh, teams, you've got a variety of fans. And uh, I guess that's, that's the strength of the hobby though, is that, uh, you know, if all I could sell in Winnipeg was Jets cards, I'd soon run out of them. And, uh, and uh, you know, other than a few of the stars we have today, uh and uh, back in the 80s, uh, we had a couple, uh, certainly D- uh, Dale Horchuk and 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 then Solani. But uh, when you think about it, I mean, uh, the power brokers of the world, are looking for the Crosbys and, uh, and uh, Ovechkins and, you know, that type of thing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's always nice to have the guy come in and say, you know, I'm looking for this or that. And then, of course, you have the the generational thing where People are coming in, and the the, uh, the dad wants to look back at the old parkies, and the and the young guys into the counter looking for the newest, coolest card that come out of the pack yesterday. So,
1: yeah, it's different. Yeah. So, I mean, when I you know I, I was known for being a Jets fan just from from my friends and family, even hobby friends and that. And then people often ask me. So when the Jets went down and became the Phoenix Coyotes, now the Arizona Coyotes. Did you become a fan of the Coyotes? I, and I think the common theme amongst Winnipeggers was hard no. Most people didn't. And I think the reason was, for me anyway, was because before, just before they left, the Jets apparently had to trade away one of their big players. They had two big players, Timu Solani and Keith Kachuk. And the, the management decided to trade away Timu Solani to the Anaheim Mighty Ducks for Chad Kilger and Oleg Tevridovsky, who amounted to nothing, Instead of trading away Keith Kachuk, because Keith was American. So you send the team down to the States, it maybe makes more sense to have the American guy, uh, you know, as the leader. But Timu was the more popular guy, the 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 more, the more just the nicer guy. And uh, I think a lot of Winnipeggers, myself included, cried the day Timu was traded. And uh, and it was very easy to not follow the Jets in their new home in Arizona. That's at least my story. Was that the sentiment that you guys kind of heard mostly, or were there other reasons people didn't follow the jets down to Arizona?
2: I, I don't know whether, uh, you know, the, the term bitter, we were bitter. We lost the team. Uh, um, whether, um, uh, the fans said, you know what, uh, that, you know, our franchise going down there, that's, that's not our franchise anymore, you know? And they, yeah. Um, and, and like you say, uh, you know losing Timu, i think uh that was that was a sentimental blow because uh you're right everybody loved him and uh, and he loved winnipeg and, and uh you know obviously they they did it for the the reasons you said they uh, the the ownership group thought that uh, it would be better to have a, an american born player on a team going south and, and so that's the the reason that uh, that move was made but it's certainly, in, in the eyes of Winnipegers. Uh, uh, yeah, it, I, I don't know whether, you know, if if they would have went over, let's just say they would have went to Minneapolis or just over the border where a guy can jump in his car with his family and, and drive a few hours and still see them play, whether that would have been a huge difference or because they went so far away. Um, and yet, you know, now today, I mean, when our jets are playing in Phoenix, I mean, there's probably hundreds of fans in the Phoenix arena when they can go um, are there. And so, you know, it's uh and, and, and nobody's saying, Oh yeah, that that's our, that's our old team because, you know, Shane Doan was the last uh, thread that uh, had any connection to Winnipeg and God bless him. Great hockey player and a great person, but uh, only spent a, a matter of months in Winnipeg before the team was gone, so there was really no real tie in to even Shane Doan. So uh, uh, after that, I mean, uh, yeah, there wasn't uh, there wasn't much for the, you know, and I've I've talked to many fans over the years, and they're even bitter that they've got a few of the uh, banners or whatever for for certain guys hanging in the Phoenix arenas. They, most people say the people down there don't even know who those people are that they're representing so that yeah the connection has been poor yeah.
1: Yeah. i think
0: uh, i think there's some sentiment or some feeling that it was almost like they stole our team and we, we couldn't cheer for somebody that stole our team so
1: yeah, I, uh, that was that was my sen- all those sentiments where I, th- I think, you know, we, we, we all felt a little bit of, of each of those. I wanted to touch on when you said earlier, Joe, about the original six, that, you know, people, you know, their dads would be Bruins fans, Leaf fans. I remember going to games in the old barn in Winnipeg. Um, and whenever the Leafs or the Habs were in town, so whenever the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Montreal Canadiens were in town, there were as many, if not more, people cheering for those teams than the Winnipeg Jets. Now, across Canada you know, everybody, uh, it's almost kind of a joke. We say that, you know, we, everyone hates the Leafs except for people in Toronto. Right. And I think a part of that was because we would go to see games, uh, in, for our home team and there'd be more people cheering for the other team. And it was just, so we had to cheer louder. We had to try harder to, to be heard, to want to drown out the Leaf fans or the Habs fans. And I think, I wonder if that went on in other cities. It must have. And I wonder if that's part of the reason why so many fan, hockey fans outside of Toronto and Ontario kind of have that we hate the Leafs sort of sentiment. You know, it's it's all in fun. It's all in good, in, in good sportsmanship, really. But, you know, that those are my memories. I used to get so mad at the fans of the other team coming into our building and cheering for the opposition that used to get under my skin. And nowadays, I'm in Calgary, I go to the odd Flames game, and you'll always see jerseys from the other teams, whether it's Tampa Bay or Dallas or Anaheim, it doesn't matter. You can be the furthest south, and you're going to have fans in our building. But at least, you know, we're 99.99% wearing Flames jerseys, so they they don't really stand a chance of drowning us out. But back in the day, in, in those mid-80s, we used to have to battle the fans of those other original six teams, um, their fans, just to be heard. So that anyway. still
2: happens today, really. Uh, and that's you know, Travis and his wife go to many
0: games, and I won't. Go, the- I won't go to the Leafs games anymore. There's too many <laughs> Leafs fans at it. I can't stand them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but and
1: it's, it's funny. Funny. we still battle the same problem here. Oh, you do. Okay, and you know I've got lots of friends and Leafs fans, so you know I say it's all in good, you know, sports fanmanship. I guess we're just ha- we're just having fun. But uh, okay, I want to just a couple more people have joined us since we last said hello. So Jay Pogs want to say hello to you. Good evening, Three Bros Collection. Good to see you. Royals says went to Winnipeg a year ago. Hit up one of the shops. Look forward to returning and going to Joe's. I hope you do, Royals. That'd be great. Brent Turman, happy to support my LCS here. There you go. Nice to hear, Brent. Rob Demar says, "Like father, like son." So here's a funny story. I called these guys up at the shop a couple of weeks ago. Just you know, we already knew we were doing this, but just to make sure that they remembered and for some planning. I, I, hey, Joe. No, it's Travis. Oh, I. Are you sure? Like I, I didn't believe you because you guys sound the exact same. You look alike. You sound the exact same. Even when we were talking on the phone, Travis, I was like. I don't know if I believe you. This could easily, just as easily be, Joe. You guys are, uh, you know, it's easy to look at you and tell you apart when you're sitting beside each other. But on the phone, you are one voice. I got to tell you. Scott, good evening to you. Rob says, Phoenix got our team and the chemistry became different. Yeah, I mean, everything became different when they went down there. Must have. LP says, I still like the Coyotes. A little blast from the past as they have some guys I like. It's nice that they do, right? They are still... The old Jets franchise, the new Jets franchise, was in the were the expansion Atlanta Thrashers, so there's no real connection between the, the old Jets and the new Jets, except for the name, which I was super happy when they came back and Chipman and company decided to call them the Jets. It made it easier for me to become a fan again. Paul Cashman says, I feel for the Winnipeg fans. For much of the 90s, the Oilers were threatening to move. Somehow it didn't happen, which I'm sure they're happy about. Peter says, "When they talk about Arizona owning the rookie scoring record, I feel a little ill for Timus <laughs> Solani's fifty, uh, beat it, having the seventy-six goals to, which was funny because Timu Solani, I was at the game where he beat Mike Bossy's goal sco- rookie goal scoring record of fifty-three goals with his fifty-fourth. I think it was against the Quebec Nordiques, who are now the Colorado Avalanche. But he ended up going on and scoring over twenty more goals for seventy-six in his rookie season, and still didn't win." the goal scoring uh record for the year he tied with Alexander McGilney yeah <laughs> right yeah no one had no one had 77 two guys had 76 Rob Demer was saying good point Travis I forget what that was about but thank you Rob he goes on to say my buddy who did security said that they beefed up their security three times this is at the old arena when an original six team came to town I don't doubt it those were those were rough days rough days. Thank you, Kanner collects. collect. Says, great start to the show. Go Red Wings. Yeah, Joe played for the Red Wings. Royals says, did the Jets have to get approval from the Coyotes to take the Jets' name again? Great question. Royals, do either of you have the answer to that? I, I,
0: as far as I know, and I, I don't know 100% for sure, but we have heard that when a team leaves or folds, the name and logos revert to the NHL. So as far as we know, the current team owns them all. They kind of came with it from the NHL, but we, I can't say that hundred percent for sure. Okay.
1: Yeah. That, that sounds about right. If anyone out there knows anything better, please feel free to share it with us. Jeff McMahon says, uh, how did Mr. Daly like playing in Detroit, especially playing at the old Olympia?
2: Well, you know, uh, when I got, uh, traded from Buffalo to Detroit, um, I was pretty excited even though I didn't want to leave Buffalo, uh, I was only in Buffalo the very first year of their existence, and and I felt like you know there, there was a lot of growth to happen there, and I w- was hoping that I could be part of it. And uh, but Punch made a deal and uh, got uh, Don Luc and Mike Robitaille for me, and I went back to Detroit, which was uh, essentially the organization I uh, I grew up in. I played. Junior hockey in Wayburn, which was a Detroit-sponsored junior team, and then of course in the Central League in Memphis and in Pittsburgh in the American League before expansion, and so I had a lot of uh, a lot of love for the Detroit organization, and uh, and got off to a, a, a great start that that uh, season in seventy one two, and um, but the se- the second uh, the second half of the of the year. Uh, was a disaster for me and uh, and I guess it was uh, my good fortune that uh, at the end of that season uh, there was the whispers of the world hockey starting up and of course I had been approached uh, privately by uh, a Winnipeg uh, connection uh, uh, trying to find out whether I had any interest in coming home to play and and because of uh, my ill feelings toward the Detroit organization and and uh, and uh, and the way things uh, played out that year, I uh, I certainly uh, welcomed the opportunity. I, I thought it was going to be good that I could get back to my hometown, uh, give the kids some uh, roots to, that they could uh, form some friendships with the kids in school and. And, and grow up a little bit there, and uh, but uh, I, I, I like uh, playing everywhere I played, to be honest with you. There wasn't a, a, you know, there wasn't a place that I didn't like playing. I mean, that's the, the nature of an athlete is you, you, you play. Uh, I always say I'd play in Timbuktu if I had to, so um, it was never a case of me not enjoying my time wherever I went uh, it was just that uh, when you're trying to uh, establish yourself as a player and, and, you, and get your career uh, going on the right track, um, you need some guidance. And, and, and uh, I, I don't want to say I didn't get that guidance that I needed, but uh, I think the maturity uh, took place uh, with me in my time in Winnipeg uh, you mature as a person, you mature as an athlete. Um, so maybe, uh, part of the problems that I had in some of the places I played was created by myself. And so I'm man enough to say that, uh, it wasn't all on management all the time, but, um, you know, I think that, uh, obviously I played, uh, uh, without a doubt the best of my career right here at, at home. And, uh, uh, but no, I uh, I liked playing in Detroit. I liked the teammates I had. I mean, Marcel Dion was a rookie that year, and Alex Delvecchio was still around. Uh, uh, Red Berenson and uh, Gary Bergman was was still there. Mickey Redmond. So I had a lot of fun in, in Detroit. They were all great guys, and 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 as they were in in every organization I played in. So uh, it was never about the city. It was never about the fans uh and i you know when you're not playing well uh, you you better be able to take the uh, the barrage of boos that uh, are going to come down on you and so that that happened in places that uh, you don't like to to get booed in your home rink but uh i think it's just it's fans being fans so you got to be able to take it
1: and I mean, let's face it. Later on, in the, in th- in the mid '70s through the late '70s, there were the opposite of booze happening in the Winnipeg Arena when the, when the, you you along with the rest of the Jets were winning Avco Cup championships. So they got uh, they they got pretty excited to see it towards the later on, right?
2: Well, for sure.
1: I mean, uh, you know, I always say the success of a goaltender is uh,
2: predicated by the, the the eighteen or twenty guys that are playing in front of them and. Uh, to to use a, a term that uh, was uh, presented by one of the greatest goalies of all time uh, with Glenn Hall. Uh, a young fella said to him, Glenn, I'd like to know how you become a better goaltender, and Glenn says, get better defense.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Makes sense. All right, a couple more comments, and then we're, we're, we'll, we'll dive into more stuff about the time with the Jets. Dave Kaplan, who will be joining me on After Hours Later tonight, was also at the game when Timu uh, broke Bossi's record. I, I also have my ticket set from that game autographed, Dave. That's kind of cool. Chris West says, I don't mind the original six teams. It's the fans that are annoying and that are hated. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, you're popular tonight. These guys like your comments. Uh, Peter Chow says, I thought Shankro owned the rights to the, to the name. Well, Shankro sold the team. So if, if he sold the team, I got to think the name would have gone with the team. No, but who knows? We, we'd be speculating. LP says, will Joe be getting any more Series 1 hobby from this year? We still have some. <laughs> there you go. Click and collect sort of thing. Curbside pickup, guys. Give them a call. Go buy, their, go buy some hockey cards from these guys. Says, Mr. Daly should tell the story of the game jersey stolen from his store. What's that all about, Joe?
2: Well, um, yeah, shortly. Uh, I guess it would have been shortly. A uh, little while after we opened up there, we, uh, we thought we should bring in a few pieces of memorabilia into the store. And so we, uh, we brought in a jersey that was uh, the last one I wore as a jet. Uh, we had that and, and, uh, and an all-star jersey hanging on the wall. And unfortunately for ourselves and a few other businesses that were in the uh, complex where we were, got broken into. And uh, the one item that went missing was my jersey. Well, um, to make a long story short, um, I thought that was gone forever. And uh, a couple of years ago, a close friend of ours who uh, started off as a customer and has, has become a close friend, as I always say, um, has a nice collection. And a uh, fella comes over one day and says, you got anything new? And, he says, Well, come on down and have a look. And there was a picture of myself and Jabelle Perot on the wall when I was with Buffalo. And he says, Is that Joe Daly? And I said, He says, Yeah, why? He says, I got a jersey of his at home. I wonder if he'd autograph it. He said, Well, go get it. I'll take it to him. I know Joe well. Well, the guy went home and got the jersey and brought it in to his, to his home. He said, Man, that's Joe's game worn jersey. So he gets, our friend gets hold of Travis and He says, Travis, I I think I might have a jersey as your dad's. Travis says, is there a spot on the sleeve? And he looks and he says, yes. He says, that's the one that was stolen out of our store. Over
0: 20 years later, we get it back.
1: Did the guy, where'd the guy get it from?
0: He he apparently, something along the lines of his sister was dating a guy that was less than stellar. And, uh, knew knew this guy liked hockey and he said, do you want this Jersey? He gave him the Jersey. Like I think he said about 22 years ago, he gave it to him and, and he's had it in his
1: closet ever since. Oh, that's crazy. Well, I'm glad you got it back. That must've been a nice feeling to get that Jersey back. Unbelievable. I mean, uh, I, I thought for sure, uh, it,
2: it, it, if anybody had it, I would never see it. And, and most likely it's probably torn to shreds. So, uh,
1: yeah,
2: that was uh, kind That's of cool.
1: A kind of cool situation, for sure. For sure, for sure. Okay, we're getting some questions about your playing days, that kind of thing. So let's let's talk a bit about about that stuff, Joe. I mean, I want you know, I wanted to know what it was. Bobby Orr, obviously one of the greatest to play the game, change the game. You played in his era. You you stared down Bobby Orr. You told me the story the other day of one game. I asked you, I said, did Bobby Orr ever score against you? I'll ask you again right now, Joe, did Bobby Orr ever score against you? I, of course I, I think every player I played
2: against probably scored a goal <laughs> sooner or later against me, but regardless, no, I, uh, you know, I, I haven't got a storied NHL career, but I, 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 would like to think that, uh, anybody that gets to the national hockey league has to have something going for them. And, and, uh, the funniest thing is, though, in the old Boston Garden, there that little wee bandbox that uh, the Boston played in. Uh, you know, a shot from center ice was a difficult one to to handle because the rink was so small. But anyways, uh, one night uh, I was with the, the I was with Buffalo at the time. We went into Boston, and uh, uh, Punch says, "You're playing tonight, Joe." That's fine. I I love playing in Boston. I just enjoyed the challenge and. Um, as the game went on, uh, I, w- I-, I was getting I was getting worn out. The shots were four, 42 to twelve after two periods, and it was uh, two all. So we're going into the third period, and I'm thinking we got a chance to get a point in the Boston Garden. So, uh, anyways, uh, the, the the period starts off, and Phil Esposito scores a goal on an offside play that was allowed. They proceeded to get 30 more shots in the third period, so they ended up with 72 shots. Bobby Orr scored in the first period on a breakaway. Now you're going to say, how the heck does a defenseman (laughs) score on a breakaway? But anybody that had the chance to watch Bobby Orr play can understand. So that night he had 15 shots. He scored on the first one and not again. (laughs) So, yes, I I have many fond memories of Bobby and – one of the most prized possessions that I have, you know, people say, you must you must have oodles of stuff. Well, really, I, I don't have oodles of stuff. But 1980, we played a benefit game in Winnipeg when Wayne Gretzky came to play in it and Bobby Orr came to play in it. The only game that Orr and Gretzky were ever on the ice together, ever. So a photographer that did pictures for the for the Winnipeg hockey uh, team and everything, took a picture of Bobby and Wayne and myself sitting in the dressing room together. I forgot all about it. One day he walks in, he says, Joe, he says, I got, I got something you might like. And he hauls out this picture. And of course it's about four by six, but it's the three of us. So I ended up getting it blown up and I got 10 copies made. I got Wayne to sign it. And then, Bobby was going to be in Thunder Bay for a, a, a charity event because of the stalls that he represents, uh, you know, the stall family. So the wife and I jump in the car. I said, we're going to see Bobby. I got to get this picture signed. So in my possession, I have a picture of Wayne, Bobby, and myself, and it's signed by all three of us. The only thing Bobby said to me, he said, I hope you'll never sell these. I said, no, they're for the family, and that's the way it stands.
1: That's, that's, that's amazing. The only game they were ever on the ice together, you were on the ice with them.
2: Yeah, it was a, it was a benefit game. If anybody remembers Billy Heindel, unfortunately, Billy went through some tough times and tried to uh, take his life and failed and uh, ended up in a wheelchair. And, uh, and Bobby had played with uh, Billy in, uh, in Oshawa. And uh, so we had a benefit game and, and Wayne came in and, oh, a lot of the guys from uh, hockey came in. Gumper was here, and and that was the only game uh, ever that Wayne and Bobby were on the ice together. And uh, I've got a picture to prove it. That's uh,
1: that, that, that's amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's that's- it's a neat
2: story. And uh, yeah, so getting back to my uh, my career with uh, you know playing in the National Hockey League. I mean, I uh, I had the good fortune to, like I said, played with Marcel uh, Marcel Dion as a rookie. The year I was in Buffalo, Joe Perot was was a rookie, and uh, and uh, of course played with and against some of the greats of all time, and and uh, so uh, even though my career in the National Hockey League didn't span uh, uh, a great number of years, I I, uh, I have a lot of memories uh, to uh, go to my grave with, and and uh, things I cherish uh, immensely, and, and and certainly having played in. Uh, in all the old buildings that uh, are uh, non-existent anymore makes you feel like an old man. But uh, I uh, I have great memories of, you know, the Boston Garden, Maple Leaf Gardens, the Forum in Montreal, the, Olymp- the, uh, the Olympia in Detroit, and uh, places like that, that uh, Madison Square Garden, um, you know, those are memories uh, that are very, very precious to me because uh, – I, I was a hockey fan my whole life, and and so you sit at home on a Saturday night and you're watching a game and you're thinking, is there ever going to be a chance that I'll be playing in one of those buildings? And and then you get to sit in those old dressing rooms and you're thinking, man, what a lot of great hockey players over the years sat in these dressing rooms, you know, and and then you're out on the ice and the next thing you know, you're trying to stop John Balavo or or Davey Keon or Frank Mahovlich or – or Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito and Bobby Hall. And then you end up, hey, playing with Bobby Hall. How bad is that?
1: Right, right. Uh, Terry wants to know what was it like playing uh, with and against Gordy Howe?
2: Well, unfortunately, in 71 2, that was the year that uh, Gordy got that uh, uh, mushroom treatment, he called it, uh, where he had the bad wrist. And so he did not play. And so my year in Detroit, I missed playing with Gordy. But certainly got a chance to play against them, and uh, um, you know there's uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, memories of, of that as well. I mean, Gordy was, um, you know, it's so hard to argue who was the best player of all time. But um, you know, you got to put Gordy and Wayne and 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 Bobby Orr and Bobby Hull. Um, I didn't play against the Rockets, so I can't. I can't. Uh, you know. Uh, talk about him but uh there's so many great players over the years but Gordy Gordy was a guy that if he had to beat you he would play the way he had to play to beat you you know most guys will yeah you know, they the, play the same way the, yeah they always play the same way whereas with, with like Gordy my- he you know if if he had to give you an elbow in the mouth he'd give you an elbow in the mouth if he had to score a goal, he'd score a goal. That that was the way he played the game. But uh, I, I had a lot. I, I had a lot of respect for him, even though there was an incident in Pittsburgh when he uh, he he pulled a dirty trick on one of my defensemen, and and I I thought he had killed him Bob Wojtowicz. And um, but uh, that was Gordy. I mean, I uh, Red Red Kelly coached me in uh, Pittsburgh, and. And he always used to say, yeah, Gordy was a great guy. You know, I played with Gordy, played against Gordy. So you go in the corner, Gordy would say, Red, how's the kids? And before you could answer him, his elbow was in your mouth. So, you know, that's the way Gordy was. I mean, uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with playing the game to win, you know, and he played the game to win, and that's why he was as great as he was.
1: Sounds a lot like Michael Jordan's competitiveness that we just witnessed in the uh, the dog. Well, that, that's that's
2: what makes the great athletes great athletes. I think you know. I always say to people, we sort of uh, abuse the term "great" because we, oh, that guy's great, this guy's great. No, there's a few people that are great in their field or or in their sport, and then there's a lot of good ones. And uh, you know, the thing that separates. The the great ones from the good ones is the way they play the game, and I would say Wayne Gretzky would have been just a very average hockey player, but every night he came, he came to play, and and that's the way the great ones uh, established their careers. And uh, if if you watch the last dance about Michael, there, I mean, you know, all you had to do is stick him off and. Uh, you weren't going to win the game. And, <laughs> right. and, and, uh, and we used to say that. There was a few guys that I played against over the years, and you'd sit in the dressing room and say, let him go up and down the wing. Don't wake him up. You know, you hit him, and now all of a sudden you've got him in a game, and now you've got competition. So, But the great athletes, they find a way to get themselves motivated every night, every night, every night. And I, I saw that in Wayne. I, Gordy was the same way, and all the uh, – Bobby Orr was the same way. All the great players, they don't take too many nights off. They don't take too many shifts off.
1: That's, yeah. Okay. That, uh, this, is, this is fascinating, Joe. Fascinating stuff. We're going to switch to Travis for a second. There is a question directly for you, Trav. So uh, Rob Dumaire says, can you tell a favorite story that you were privy to being behind the scenes as a youngster? So, I mean, and I, at first when I saw Rob post the question, I was thinking maybe he meant, uh, you know, at the card shop. But I think what he means is, Travis, I mean, you're, you're a youngster. Your dad's playing at the highest level of hockey. He's winning championships. What was that like for you? I mean, I think we all dreamt of, number one, playing in the NHL or, number two, having a father or a brother or a son, whoever, to actually play in the NHL or, or at the professional level. You had that. What was, what was it like being a kid in Winnipeg and your dad is, uh, you know, one of the heroes in the city?
0: Well, I I always said he he was just dad to us. He just had a different job than your dad. And, um, but I, I, you know, I I was fairly young. Um, I think I was 12 when, when dad finished, but, um, I I wouldn't say there was one particular story, but we had a lot of great memories. My brother and I both would go to practice and we'd be on the ice with the players. And, and I always said the, the highlight for me was getting free soda and gum in the dressing room. So, um, but, uh, you know, just just being around some of those guys, you realize, in fact, probably more as I became an adult and, and interacted with the same guys, how nice they were, how good they were to us when we were kids, how well they treated us. Um, you know, it was just a lot of fun. Um, you know, like I said, for us, it was normal. It didn't, you know, it's just, you know, dad went to the rink to do his job. Other dads went to the office to be, do their accountant job. But so he was just dad. It didn't, you know, it wasn't uh, uh, quote unquote, anything special. He was still
1: just dad. And, uh, but it was sure a lot of fun growing up. That's for sure. But was there, was there ever a time when you realized that it was special? Probably after he was
0: done. In fact, uh, we, we lived in, uh, we moved to Penticton for four years in BC. And when we came back, um, a friend of mine came to visit and we were walking around the mall and somebody asked dad for an autograph and they were kind of looking at him like, why are they doing that? And that's when you realize that maybe to some people, dad is special, you know? Yeah,
1: not just to you rugrats <laughs> hanging around <at> the house. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Charles has a question for you, Joe. He says, you've played with some underrated stars like Lars Eric Schuberg, Nick Libet, Les Binkley. And before I finish this question, guys, Charles is 14 years old, okay? Les, and I'm, I'm not kidding. Les Binkley and, of course, yourself. What player do you think was the hardest-working guy you ever played with? Hardest-working guy, Joe?
2: Whoa, boy. <laughs> um, you know, you let's put it this way. I played with a lot of guys that I thought were underrated, um, but their work ethic and work habits were were the thing that allowed them to be uh, National Hockey League or WHA players and um, it's hard for me to just um, zero in on on one person. I think if if you if you look at most teams, um, look at the third and fourth line players and their habits and how they play the game and how they work at at the game and, and, and their job. those are the, those are generally the guys that will. Uh, be the, I'll say the hardest workers other than the great players um, because they have to every night, every practice, every day, they have to be the hardest worker to be on the team. Yeah. Generally, the guys on the first couple of lines, they're gifted with a certain amount of talent and skill. And yeah, they still have to work hard, but a lot of them get by because they are so skilled and so talented. Whereas that, that guy that's put out there to check and play four or five minutes a night, if he doesn't work his tail off every chance he gets, he won't be around because those guys can be replaced quite easily. So uh, it, when you're watching a game, if you're if you're watching a guy on the third or fourth line, he's not working hard, I'll guarantee he won't be there the next week. So pay attention to how they go about their business. Um I played, with, I played with a lot of guys that I, I thought, you know, over the years, you're I, I even as a kid coming up, as a kid growing up, uh, going through my junior career, I thought I played with a lot of good hockey players. And very, very few of them went on to have professional careers. Mind you, back then, uh, there was no, uh, oh, man, my first contract, I'm going to be a millionaire. You either love the game. I wanted to pursue it, or you said, ah, I'll stay home, I'll get a job, and I'll play beer hockey, you know, because there was no incentive to go on and be a, 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 a pro athlete in the 60s or 50s or, or even early 70s um, because the money wasn't that great. And, and so, you know, you had you to love the game. You had to love the sport you were in to want to pursue it. And I thought I played with a lot, lot of good kids, a lot of good uh, young fellas that uh, just, I mean, they, they never went anywhere. Mind you, when, you know, in hockey, there were six teams. And I remember my first training camp, I went to, uh, I, was, I was still eligible to play junior and did go back and play junior. but I went there, there was 10 pro goaltenders already. And, and there was only like three or four teams to play on. So you say, hmm, I'm, the odds are <laughs> stacked up against me. So, you know, the first year I went uh, out of junior hockey, I mean, I ended up in Johnstown where Slap Shot was made, and I I played in Johnstown for two years. That was great for me. I'm a kid. It's a league where you got a mixture of talent, and uh, hopefully I'm going to get better and learn something. Then you move on to the next league and the next league and the next league, and that's the way we went up the ladder. Not like today where you draft a kid out of the NHL and – everybody's wondering it. Is he going to be in the lineup this year or maybe next year? Not too many guys. I remember 1971 to Guy Lafleur sitting on the bench in Montreal. Not a bad hockey player. Eh? Not a bad one. But he sat on the bench first. <laughs>
1: it's the, so yeah. these third four, it's the unsung heroes who are often the hardest workers and sort of thing. Oh, right. For, so, sure. Yeah. for sure. Yeah.
2: yeah and I, I, the, the young fellow there that had the question, the, he he knows he knows. I mean, uh, Les Binkley was a trainer for many many years before he got a chance to be a National Hockey League goaltender, and and Nick Lebitt was a good friend. I played with Nick Lebitt in the Central League in Memphis, and he, him and his wife were good fam, uh, friends of ours, and and uh, good hard worker. And and uh, Lars Derek to me was uh, he was one of the most talented and most. Um, well, I, uh, the smartest defenseman that I ever played with. Just, you know, uh, I guess if there was a, a, a knock against him was his size. Um, but boy, was he talented and, and he knew the game inside and out. And that's why he ended up to be the captain of our team.
1: And he was what he was one of the early Europeans to come over and play, uh, North American professional hockey. I mean, I remember I went to WHA games. The world hockey association was a competitive league for in the seventies against the NHL made their mark by Bobby Hall signing the first million dollar contract in professional hockey to play with the Winnipeg jets, just for people that may not know who are in the audience may not know who, uh, what the WHA was didn't last too terribly long, but, um, but the Europeans came over, Anders Hedberg, Olf Nielsen. I mean, these guys were playing with Bobby Hall. That was the hotline.
2: Well, I'll tell you, we 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 had we had a stretch of about four years here in Winnipeg where we had a team that could compete anywhere, anyplace, anytime. And in fact, if you recollect when when Alf and Anders ended up signing in, in New York, uh one year before the Uh, demise of the WHA, Anders told me and Anders Anders Hedberg would never say anything out of character, out of text. And he says, Joe, he says, I'm skating around the ice one day at practice in New York. And the guy said, you know, you came to a pretty good team, eh? Anders said, you should have seen the one I left. (laughs) (laughs) True story. I love it. And and, and, uh, that was... That was, uh, you know, New York that they, they had a good team, and uh, yeah, Andrew mm-hmm. says, yeah, you should have seen the one in Winnipeg. Uh, so, Terry wants- yeah, for, for all those people that want to, you know, sort of discredit the league and, and say that, you know, it was some people have suggested that it was a glorified American League, uh, you know, no no better. They, uh, they didn't view uh, all the years and all the guys that came into it and and look at all the Hall of Famers that uh, got their start in the league. And, and, uh,
1: Wayne Gretzky. and I know
2: that, uh, I mean, uh, for Winnipeggers, they'll never forget the night we beat the uh, Russian national team. We were the only club team in, in the history to beat their their uh, their national team. So, uh, you know, people said, did you ever regret leaving the National Hockey League? I said, uh, not really. I, uh, I accomplished a lot uh, as, a, as a teammate here in Winnipeg. Uh, got to see a number of places in the world. We played in Sweden, Finland, Czechoslovakia. Played the Uzvestia Cup in Russia. Um, played against some of the best teams in the world. Played with some of the best players in the world. I've Never regretted leaving the National
1: Hockey League. So, Joe, let's go to the next question on the screen. Terry Fortune wants to know who had the hardest shot that you ever had to face. Well... Uh, it wasn't always the hardest shot that that got by. It was who
2: had the ability to put it in the right place all the time. So um, you know, I I uh, I played I played with a guy that ninety nine percent of the viewers will never ever know that this guy played in the National Hockey League. A kid by the name of Dougie Volmer. I played with him in Detroit. He could shoot the puck so hard it was scary, and uh, I don't, know. I don't know what his stats are, but uh, if he scored five goals in the National Hockey League, that would be about it. But um, I always said that, uh, you know, there was a fellow by the name of Norm Ferguson who played in the National Hockey League, played in the World Hockey. I played against him in the minor leagues, and I think I kept him in every league that he played in because he had the ability to score a goal on me no matter
0: what. And kept uh, them and working.
2: Like I say, it wasn't always the guy that had the hardest shot because back in the day, there was there was only two or three guys that were really could really fire the puck. And of course, going into each game, you, you were prepared for those guys, so you were on your toes when they had the puck, and, and, and especially when it was in a scoring area. It was always those guys that had that sneaky little shot that, for some reason. <laughs> It was almost like a trick shot, and they always had the ability to fool you. So yeah. not always the, the – but then there was guys, and I'm sure you've heard the expression, had a heavy shot, and that's hard to explain to somebody. Alex Del Vecchio had a heavy shot. In other words, when you caught the puck, it was like you'd caught a, a bowling ball full of lead because it just – it hit you and fun. So uh, there was a lot of different – players obviously Bobby Hall uh, you know uh, when I first got to play against him I mean he'd come down the ice and he'd flick the first one at your head because I played many years without a mask and so now he's got you up on your toes and the next one he'd come and he'd put some s- smoke on it and it would be right along the ice so you know we were always playing a cat and mouse game with guys like him and so it always wasn't uh, the hardest shot but uh, um there was a few guys uh, over the years that uh, could fire the puck.
1: Yeah, I'm sure that were. I'm sure. That, okay, next question is from Trudeau97. Says hi to you guys. Great to see you. What's the most valuable hockey item you've ever had come through the store? And then says, I'll see a curbside this week. Well, Travis, Travis coined a phrase.
2: He said, uh, "The mo- the most valuable thing we have in the store is the person that walks in the door, and that's the customer." And we've always felt that way. But uh, not to make light of the question, um, we've had some neat stuff. Uh, had a guy walk in one day with his super value bag full of baseball cards and him and his brother-in-law came in. I said, can I help you? And he said, I, got a, I want to finish a few sets here. And I said, you want to finish them or do you want to sell them? He said, oh, probably maybe I could sell them. Well, I open up the bag looking and sitting on the top of the pile is a 52 mantle. My heart started pounding. <laughs>
0: like 19...
2: 90, 91. Oh my goodness! <laughs> that was probably uh, um, the most. Uh, um, that was the most valuable card individually we've had.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and you and ended that, up buying it.
2: Well, we we uh, we ended up making a a, a, deal, a deal, actually, a, a deal with him and another dealer in Winnipeg, and uh, uh, yeah, we ended up selling the cards for him, and uh, yeah, Travis gave the guy a check after we uh, were able to uh, accumulate the money for him and Travis thought he was going to die of a heart attack. He started frothing at the mouth in the store. <laughs> couldn't believe couldn't believe what he was falling into. Well, the day he walked in, I said, uh, said, I said, do you realize what you got in the bag? He said, Oh, probably a couple thousand dollars worth of cards. I said, I'm glad you came to me. He said, I was told to. That's nice. Yeah. So I, I was glad we treated him fairly and properly and, uh, and uh, God rest his soul. I know he's gone because uh, his brother-in-law, uh, before we even left uh, St. James Street, uh, came back to see me. And uh, I think we had uh, obviously acquired most of his most of his cards. But getting back to him, I said to him, "I said, uh, too bad you didn't have hockey from the same era." He said, "I did." I said, "What'd you do with it?" He said, "I gave it to a friend." I said, "I hope he was a good one." <laughs>
1: <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Uh, Davy Snep says, "Would love to see that picture of uh, the three of you—you, you, Wayne, and Bobby." Do you have? Is that in the house somewhere?
2: I—I don't know. Well, a couple of the kids have got uh, them, and grand—my grand, my, uh, grand uh, one of the grandkids has got one, and I got the rest in the in the safe.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, we won't see it tonight, but uh, I, I want to see it next time I come to Winnipeg and, and uh, come see you at the shop. A.M. just wants to quite simply say, hockey is life. Love it. Thank you, A.M. Uh, and uh, Dave Kaplan says, did you ever face Wayne Gretzky during Winnipeg's last season in the WHA? That was the year the Jets beat Gretzky in the Oilers in the Afco Cup Finals.
2: Yes, I did. Yeah, I got to play against Wayne uh, during his uh, startup, actually, even uh, when he uh, got started in Indianapolis, so uh, before he went to Edmonton. But uh, yeah, people have asked me many times, you know... Uh, what did you think of the kid? And I said, "Well, I thought I thought for sure some some big defenseman's going to tattoo him one day against the boards, and and he'll become one of those uh, advertising pieces because he was so thin and so small, and uh, you know uh, you could see he had some skill. Obviously, he was 18 years old, but uh, for anybody to predict that he was going to go on and have the career uh, just by watching him in those early games." I think you'd have to really uh, say that uh, you stretched the imagination because, yeah, uh, yeah I, uh, I I would have never suggested that he was going to uh, be able to do what he did. But, I mean, to, sort of, you know, towards that uh, that final year in uh, in Edmonton in the WHA, the year we, we beat them in the final, uh, you know, there were signs that, uh, you know, this kid was a little bit better than the average guy. And. Um, obviously, uh, uh, he proved that, uh, that to be accurate, but, um, um, yeah, so I got a chance to play against him. Uh, even though it was uh, a very short period of time and, and, and like I say, when he was in his, uh, <laughs> call it infancy as, as a pro, but, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. All right. And, uh, Robert wants to know, is there a fight or a brawl that stood out above all others that you witnessed on the ice? Anything uh, come to mind?
2: Well, I'll tell you the most uh, most of that stuff took place when I was in Johnstown so anybody that has seen the movie slapshot believe me I lived it <laughs> uh, that league was was unbelievable uh, some of the uh, actions of some of the players that played in that league and some of the things that went on in in, in games, um unbelievable so uh most of uh most of the brawls or 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 uh, vicious incidences took place uh when i was in the uh we called it the east coast league and uh um it it, it was unbelievable i mean there was guys hitting each other over the head with sticks with no helmets on uh, i remember uh, um tried to spear one of my teammates in the eye, uh, things like that. I mean, it was just disgusting when I think of it now today and the way the game was played. But, uh, um, I mean, uh, you know, if you remember back in the days, uh, well, when the Bruins were winning and they called them the the big bad Bruins, I mean, uh, that was when uh, six guys could uh, scrap with one, if you know, if you remember back before uh, you got thrown out of the game or instigator or anything like that. So Brian Watson, who I played with in Pittsburgh there, uh, he was an antagonist. In fact, Glenn Sather was a teammate then too. And between the two of them, they, they could get under everybody's skin. And so we had a few good brawls with Boston and of course there would be four or five of the Bruins trying to take the the life out of uh, uh, Bugsy Watson or or Glenn Sather. But uh, yeah, there was... Um, you know, most of that stuff had already gone. Uh, I was in the WHA by the time the uh, the Broad Street Bullies come along, and uh, uh, so. But anything that I saw in person, or particular, uh, was it was in the Eastern League there, and uh, it, it was awful.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just listening. I'm thinking about some of the viewers too, like. This is stuff you don't hear. You don't. You don't get this by watching the highlights. You don't get this by collecting cards. You only get this by hearing from an old school player like yourself, Joe. So this yeah, that's, is a, a,
2: that's why I go to the shop every day so oh. we can have a conversation.
1: <laughs> well, it's it, it's truly a privilege to have you here tonight, and uh, you know, Travis, I want to get you more involved too because I, I invited you on as well. <laughs> I, but it's funny when we we're when we were planning this, Travis said. You know, you, you ask dad three stories, that's going to fill up three hours, no problem. So, uh, you know, we're, we, we've got our work cut out for us, but we'll get through it. We're, we got lots of comments coming in. Um, I wanted to bring Aaron. Aaron says, Jeremy, these guests are fired up. Good energy for a Saturday night. Thank you, Aaron. Brent Turman says, Joe, how do you think your best WHA team would have performed in the NHL? Well, I mean, you said it. You said yeah, it actually,
2: I, I honestly believe that we... Uh, we would have been in in the upper half of the league. Um, you know, there was there was always a rumor and and and, and, a, and a, a discussion about us playing Montreal when Montreal were in their prime there. Um, and uh, you know, I always said, well, Montreal might have been a little bit deeper than we were. So, but it would have been fun. It would have been nice. But I always say to people, uh, I remember. Uh, Scotty, uh, Scotty Bowman came to Winnipeg to speak at a, at a fundraising dinner. And anybody that knows Scotty Bowman, I love the man. I think he's a hockey genius. But he wouldn't throw compliments around about anybody to anybody. But somebody asked him, you know, about him coming to Winnipeg. He said, well, he came to scout lars Eric Schoberg. Montreal wanted to get Schoberg to play with and alongside Sabard, uh, Robinson and uh Lapointe and they they wanted to get shoe there and they 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 thought if they got him they had four defensemen that were the best in the world anyways uh he was here he watched us play he went back to Montreal, and and um what's his name there uh, in Montreal there was a GM uh, oh geez I by I, I me yep. Sam Pollock yes thank you Sammy says, uh, "What kind of team they got?" Scotty says, "Well, if they challenge us, I'd think twice." <laughs> so uh, I thought that was a sort of a, a nice way of saying they got a pretty good hockey team. Yeah, I think we would have been able to compete and certainly uh, establish ourselves in the upper half of the of the National Hockey League back in the in in, in those uh, seventy five to seventy eight years. There, there was those three years. That was a pretty special group of guys that played here.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I was young in those days, but I was going to a few. Of the I was going to some of those games with my dad back in those early years, and uh, I don't have I don't have real real vivid memories, but I certainly remember the excitement and winning Avco Cups. So uh, yeah, good times, good times for sure. Foul yeah, five ball, enjoying the stories. Good to have you, Foul Five Ball. Aaron Rasmus wants to, and I thank you, Aaron. Uh, wants to. Inv- remind everybody to hit the like button. So I'm going to take a second and say, if you're watching the video and you haven't yet subscribed to the sports cards live channel on YouTube, please go ahead and do that. If you don't mind, I'd appreciate it. If you've enjoyed the show so far, hit that thumbs up button. If you haven't enjoyed the show so far, hit the thumbs up button. All right. (laughs) Frankie stain says, thanks for this, Jeremy. It reminds me of Mickey Redmond talking about the good old days where players hated each other in his career in Detroit. That's cool. Now that, Joe's already mentioned uh, Mickey Redmond. So far, good to see you, Frankie. Terry says, I love this episode. So good to hear some of the amazing history of the game from someone who experienced it. I could listen to this all day, every day. There you go, Joe. There you go. Patty Black wants to know, Joe, do you still have any of your old masks? You know, I only wore one. I had one. uh, I I started
2: wearing it uh, the uh, third year here in Winnipeg. And, uh, unfortunately when I, uh, retired and left the jets, um, they, uh, they politely told me that, uh, they couldn't find any of my equipment. So my mask ended up uh, being part of that, that I, uh, I never, uh, retained and, um, don't know where it is till this day, you know, uh, but, uh. So no, I don't have any.
1: <laughs> okay. Let's keep going. Cause we got, we got lots of comments coming through. So let's see what else we can get to Canner collects. This is a funny question. Who could drink the most beers between periods and still skate a good game?
0: <laughs>
1: did that, did, uh, Joe, Joe, before you answer Joe, did that, you know, we hear stories about people would be drinking beers. They'd be smoking cigarettes on the bench or in the locker room between periods. Did this stuff really go on? I never saw anybody drink a beer, but I saw guys have a cigarette yeah.
2: So back in the day, uh, I'd have a half a dozen teammates that, you, you know, you, you, if you had to go to the bathroom, uh, you had to get through the fog, but, uh, cause that's where they went. They went and sat in the can and had a cigarette, but, uh, you know, you see pictures of guys after a game. I, you know, some of the guys from the sixties and seventies, you'll see them sitting in the dressing room there with half their gear on still and a, smoking their hand and a beer in the other, and, That was it. It was no big deal. I mean, guys had a few beers after the game and in the dressing room. And uh, and I know they don't do it today. um, But, uh, you know, it just, uh, we probably all should have done it more. And then we wouldn't have been in the bar till three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Right,
1: (laughs) Peter, Peter says, when Joe talks about hard work, and I think about Tanev for the Jets, worked his tail off, got in front of every shot.
2: There's good a good, that's a great example Peter uh you know but we all love of here in Winnipeg and we're sorry to see him go but that's exactly the type of guy you know he, he's playing in the National Hockey League because of his work ethic and and that that wears off and it, and it goes around and and speaking of great players I mean uh, I said that's why we in Winnipeg here became as good as we did is because of the influence that we had from the Europeans who went to practice to get better. And 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 that brushed off on all the other guys. And you can talk to anybody from, from those teams uh, uh, that I'm talking about uh, when they came over. And we a lot of guys look forward to going to practice, and especially, you know, the Billy Lazooks and Lyle Moffats and Bobby Gindans of the world. Those guys would always be playing against... Bobby Anderson off in practice. Hey man, if they if they didn't work their tail off, you know what was gonna happen in a in a small scrimmage, they'd be in our end all night long. So yeah, that's that's a great example.
1: Yeah, yeah. Cool, good. Rob says, Joe, what was it like facing Bobby Hull's shot in practice? Or did he hold back?
2: <laughs> no, he didn't hold back and neither did I. I I had no fear of him. And uh many times I'd come home and I'd have a welt up here on my collarbone and I'd show it to my wife and she'd say, Bobby. And I'd say, yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I, I used to, uh, I used to enjoy practicing against him because uh, you know,
0: Hey, that's how you get better. Play against the best. The one good thing with Bobby was he always knew where it was going though. I remember talking to him one night and he said he, He came down the wing, and I think Gumper was in net, and he let it go, and he knew it was going to hit him in the head, and he yelled as soon as he shot it because he knew every time he shot the puck where it was going, and sure enough, it it clipped Gumper's ear and cut his ear, but that that was the one thing with Bobby is he always knew where he was going to put it. So I think just watching in practice, you could tell that, okay, he's going to shoot it, but he's not going to shoot it at his head because he knows where he's going to put
1: it. So Yeah, and that one time against Gumper – he, he he let out a warning call. Hey. Yeah, he knew, he, he, knew he, he missed where he wanted to put it. So he yelled as soon as he let it go. Move. I'm about to kill you. Get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> nice of him. That was nice of him. For sure. For sure. Top Shelf says, greetings from the bullpen. Greetings to you, Top Shelf. Welcome to the show. Going to see what else we got here. Um, here we go. Rob Demare. Travis, other than your dad, who do you think is the, was the best goalie that had ever lived? And great question, Rob, because... I had the same question for Joe, but where I love it, we're going to start with you, Travis. Best goalie that ever lived besides the man sitting on your right? That's hard. Like, you know, obviously I'm not old enough to have watched a lot of the early
0: ones like Plants and Sawchucks and and stuff like that. But uh, um, if you base it just on success, I mean, Patrick Waugh was awfully successful. Um, I liked watching him play because I just liked his intensity. But, um, to say he was the best, uh, I don't know, but I just enjoyed watching him play because of you know just sort of what he brought to the game. Hextall was fun to watch too, though.
1: Yeah, you know, I,
0: I like I like the way he played um, again, just because of the the passion that they they showed on the ice. But uh, those are those probably the two that I would pick.
1: Joe, let's let's uh, let's move to you. And I I said I said to I asked Joe the same question when we were chatting the other night, and. Uh, and I gave him a break. I said, "Joe, you don't have to come up with one guy. You can tell us who the a few of them are because you know you've got the insights that a lot of us don't." So, your opinion, Joe who 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 are the goalies? You know, who's the greatest couple of all time? And then I also want to know current players. Who do you really like right now, or and recent?
2: Well, during the seventies, I mean, I, I I really liked Bernie Perron's style. I I thought uh, I thought Bernie was so consistent uh, night in and night out. Um, and on the other hand, if I had to try and throw a guy in there that I thought could win me a game tonight, I love Cheevers for that aspect. But um, so in the seventies, those two guys, I mean, in the eighties, to me, you know, people are going to say, ah, oh, he played on, the, one of the greatest teams of all time in, in the Oilers, but Grant Fuhrer was perfect for that team. And all Grant Fuhrer worried about was a W. You know, this uh, save percentage and goals against and everything, that's all, you know, the topping on the cake. Grant Fuhr played to win. 10-9, 1 nothing. <laughs> Didn't matter as long as he won. And that's why Edmonton... Uh, were so successful was because, you know, he'd come into Winnipeg, uh, the shots, he'd get 45, 50 shots against them. But the, the game might be 8-6, but I, I know Edmonton had the 8 every time. Yeah. So that's all that matters. And uh, so I thought, you know, during that time period, um, Fuhrer was, was exceptional. You're going into the 90s, uh, I mean, it's pretty hard to – uh, to uh, not talk about Patrick Wah, but I, I think I mentioned to you Marty berdur was Marty Berdeur was one of the best of all time. I mean he 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 just he just played the game the way it should be played, mm-hmm. and uh, and of course you know you get into the you know current situation. Uh, I mean we're in love with our uh, Connor Hollabuck here in Winnipeg. I I love his attitude. I love his. His demeanor, I love his approach to the game. I love his desire to try and become the best that he can be. And uh, we're very fortunate we have him because uh, I still think that, uh, you know, like last year, he wins the Vesna Trophy. And when the season stopped because of COVID, we weren't in the playoffs. So when a guy can win the Vesna Trophy on a team that struggled or was fortunate to get in the, in the playoff, uh, the play go round there when, when they, uh, when they started up again, I think that speaks volumes about what, what type of goaltender he is. And of course there's, there's a lot of guys. I mean, I, as I mentioned, you know, to say who was the best of all time, while well, growing up in Winnipeg and and knowing that Terry Sawchuk's from Winnipeg to me, one of the greatest that ever put on a pair of pads. So, um, but you know, you go through the the history of goaltenders, and and uh, I mean Charlie Rayner, who I got to know, God bless him. Uh, think he was uh, the most valuable player in the league playing on the Rangers, and I I think they were in last place. I mean, what does that speak volumes about a a, a goaltender? And uh, uh, so um, it's so hard to say you know, this guy or that guy. And like I say now, um, you know, you talk about the same percentage and the goals against and, and so forth and so on. I mean, the statistics that are kept. Um, and we got to remember that uh, so many of us uh, were self-taught goaltenders. Um, we didn't have somebody watching us, then coming down to the next practice and and we're going over the game on the ice and they watched how you played and, and how... How things are going, good and bad, and otherwise. You had one coach coaching the goalie, the defense, and the forwards, and that was it. And That's until right. uh, until video came in, and then whoa, well, let's go. Uh, so then you 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 know, one day we're in Buffalo, and uh, Punch says we're going to watch the video. And uh, so Eddie Shack is my teammate, so Punch is all over Eddie because look at this, look at that. Or Eddie says, but look at the nice passes I made. <laughs> so the next thing you know, you're, you're laughing your head off, and we're supposed to be try, try, trying to get better as a team. But so you know, we we have to remember that the guys prior to um, you know, like I say, all the analytics, all the coaches, all the video, all the all the ability to to become better. Um, all the guys that played prior to that, I call them self-made goaltenders, including myself. So. You learned by watching the guy at the other end of the ring. You learned by your mistakes. You thought maybe somebody on the team could say to you, Joe, I, you know, when you're playing well, you're you're on the edge of your crease. You're not sitting back in it. You know, simple things like that. So you had to pick up a little bit here, a little bit there, and, uh, and, and try and become better, whereas today you've got a lot of help. So, yeah. you know, I think the goaltending of today is, is special, but it's so different from the way I was taught to play the game. I mean, I, I would say Red Kelly would would tear his hair out today because I remember one night he came in the dressing room, he got down on his hands and knees in front of me in my stall, and he says, how in the son of a sea cook and bottle washer can you stop the puck when you're on your knees? I said, wouldn't he have fun today? Because <laughs> they're yeah. never off their knees. <laughs> so... uh you know, you got to think of all the different changes that, that come in sport. And certainly the, the biggest change in hockey has been the way the goaltender plays the game. Yeah. And uh, so, how do you say, well, oh, you know, this guy played this way in a certain era. How would he play today? I always say players adapt, athletes adapt. So, if I was playing today, obviously I'm too small because you got to be six foot 10 but anyways you would be able you would be taught to play a certain way you would adapt
0: yeah.
2: and and so when you say
0: oh best ever stuff
2: yeah all the best ever stuff it, it, it's it's too hard all i say is the best players would adapt they would be trained they would be coached they would be taught to adapt to to the style
0: that's required
1: okay joe i want to ask you what uh, i'm going to give you like 30 seconds to answer this next question that's, Dominic clock, <laughs> <laughs> Dominic Hasek, how does he rank against Martin Brodeur and Patrick Waugh? More of the same era. I saw
2: Dominic Hasick stop more shots that I still don't know how than any goaltender I ever watched. He just never quit on anything ever. Yeah. So when he was when when you thought oh Guy's going to slide the puck in the net, and the next thing you know, he twisted himself around and flung an arm or threw a glove or something. Like, I mean, he made more saves. I said, don't try and tell a kid to watch him play and to play like that because nobody can. Nobody could. Nobody did. Dominic Hasek was one of the most unique goaltenders in the history of the game and one of the best. All
1: right. All right. I love it. I, lo- I love it. Thank you. Uh, bless him break says this guy is an OG. I love it. Thank you. Uh, bless him. Welcome to the show. Uh, Charles. Let's see what Charles says. Mickey Redmond is one of the biggest what ifs in scoring history, 52 goals. Then in 74, he have had a back injury that ended his career. What can you tell us about Mickey Redmond? Joe, you got 30 seconds, Mickey Redmond, well, 30 seconds. You just said it. Mickey Redmond scored 52 goals. When you back
2: in the day, uh, 50 goal scorers weren't uh, something you would uh, pick off a tree. So, uh, you know, talked about guys that could shoot the puck. Mickey could fire it pretty good. And
1: uh,
2: just, a, he, he was a fun guy. I love playing
1: with him. Awesome. AM says, uh, best goalies are Sawchuck and Plant. No argument. Nice. LP <laughs> Hockey Card says, Joe, what is it like signing cards for a card company?
2: Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> It's a it's a privilege. Um, I think it's an honor to be able to sign anything. I get cards in the mail every week to sign and mail back to fans, and uh, and I I just think it's an honor to be able to sign a card or or sign. Uh, you know, obviously uh, you sign a couple of cards for a company. Uh, there's a couple of dollars involved for you, so it's not so bad. It's 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 not a big deal. It, um, it's kind of neat when uh, when you see your uh, your card come out of a, a, a product, uh, you know, especially uh, now, because, I mean, obviously, when I was playing, uh, uh, the kids weren't weren't buying cards yet. Uh, my kids, I mean, and uh, and I uh, I didn't even have all my cards when uh, when we got into the business and and, and since then we have we've accumulated them.
1: But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of cool. What was, Joe, what was it like seeing your very first NHL card?
2: Well, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I did, it, it didn't, uh, you no know, I didn't. Deal?
0: Pardon me? No big deal? No, no. no? I mean. <laughs> cards weren't a big deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I All wanted right. the bubble one. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: Charles says Joe is an amazing guest. Isn't he, though? Isn't he, though? Thank you, Charles. Patty Block wants to say, I guess Joe doesn't recall his Pittsburgh mask. Probably didn't play with it for many games. Type in <laughs> Bruins versus penguins, October 18th, 1969 on YouTube. And you can yep. see Joe playing for the Pittsburgh penguins. That's pretty cool. Patty. Thanks well, yeah. for that out for everybody.
2: Let, let me expand on that. Uh, Red Kelly was coaching and he wouldn't let me play unless I wore a mask. And, uh, so I I only played a few games and uh, and then I, I was sent down to Baltimore in the American League and of course when I went to Baltimore I I played without a mask and uh, they the he he was funny like that Red was uh, you know he he had his ways and uh, uh, he wanted me to wear a mask so yes we have seen it um, the the equipment guy there in Pittsburgh now Dana Hines Dana Hines is. Uh, He's writing a book about all all the masks that the, the 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 all the goalies wore in Pittsburgh, and and so he him and Travis have done a lot of texting back and forth, and he keeps sending us different pictures, not with my mask on, but different pictures of me. And uh, so with he, he sent us that video. He, he he said he said here here's Joe playing with a mask on. <laughs> That's
1: awesome. That's awesome. All right, couple more comments. We'll go through. Davey. Snep says Grand Fear was fun to watch. Sure was. Am asks about uh, Hassick, which I ended up getting to since that comment came up. So we're thinking of like Am Paul says, "LOL, my favorite goalie I played with had ten goal gar- had a ten goal guarantee. If we scored ten, there was no way he was letting in more than nine. I love it. I love it. Am says Brodeur can't compare to vintage goalies. Game changed too much. And I think that's what Joe is trying to say. Rob Demaris says, "Great point on Hellebuck, Joe." I like Saint Patrick too, Travis. You and I are from the same era. Blair Warb, welcome to the show. Great show, Jeremy. Joe, you're the best. If in Winnipeg, his card store is a must. Appreciate the comments, Blair. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bobby Burrell, vintage hockey expert, says, Joe and Travis, what is your favorite vintage card or collectible? Travis, why don't you jump in on this one first?
0: I've always liked the 68-69 set.
1: I don't know whether that's because I was dead. I was so, happy. Um, yeah, I,
0: mean, I, I, really, I honestly don't collect a whole lot, but... Um, but if I had to pick one card, uh, it would probably be the 68, 69 set. Plus, I was born in
1: 68, so that doesn't hurt either. That, make, that makes sense. How about you, Joe?
2: Well, you know, I, I, I like the, the old Parkies. Uh, not necessarily going back to the, the early 50s ones because uh, uh, they're pretty primitive if you, if you really think about it. But having said that, I any chance that I get to find a beautiful copy of one uh, is always thrilling for me. Uh, but I like the, the you know, the, the later 50s, uh, early 60s uh, parkies. I think there's some beautiful sets in there. And, uh, you know, I, I guess maybe I, I, I'm showing my age when I, when I talk about what would I enjoy collecting. Well, I've always said that I'd, I'd be going back into those early years of, of, of the cards because uh, obviously finding, you know, some pretty nice copies of any years or any player's. Uh, is difficult and and but I think that the true value in 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 cards would be finding you know near mint to mint copies of of Richard or How or Balavo or Boom Boom or Plant or Sawchuck or How or any of them you know you sh- you find nice copies of of uh, of those guys in 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 the Parky sets I think you've got I think you've got you know people say what should I invest in well I've always I would say what you like and what you can afford, but uh, you know, I, I I like the old stuff. I really do. I uh, I mean, obviously, the new product, uh, uh, the cards are pretty amazing, and uh, and the thought process that goes into trying to change them up year after year is pretty difficult, I'm sure. But um, not saying that the cards aren't nice anymore, but I, I there's something about I guess maybe because as a kid I had them in my
1: pocket. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Uh I want to just mention to everybody. So this coming Thursday night, next yeah, this coming Thursday night, there's an heritage auctions is happening. There's a PSA 10 Wayne Gretzky Opeachy rookie card that's gonna sell and a PSA ten tops Wayne Gretzky rookie card that are gonna sell. Currently the Opeachy is at like six hundred and twenty thousand US dollars, and the tops is I believe around two forty or two ninety, whichever it is. Yeah. What's that? I think it is 290. Yeah. 290 for the tops card. So I'm going to be doing a special episode next Friday. And by then, these auctions should be over. They're going to end in the middle of the night, like late Thursday, early Friday morning. We're going to do a special episode Thursday night. Bobby Burrell, whose comment is on the screen, will be joining me, as well as Sean Chalk. Sean is the the preeminent Wayne Gretzky collector in the world. And these guys are going to be on with me uh, next Friday. Special episode to kind of break down the sales of these cards. I'm hoping they both surpass a million bucks, but we will see. So I just want to let everybody know if you uh, aren't kind of a member of the sports cards live YouTube or sorry, Facebook group where I post uh, that the who's going to be on the show and what we're going to be talking about. I'll let you know now if you and I'll mention again, subscribe to the channel if you haven't yet. I'd appreciate it. Hit the thumbs up button and all that great stuff. Back to comments. Charles says Pelly Lindbergh is one of the biggest what ifs ever. I think he could have been amazing. That was a tragedy for sure. Um, A.M. says, can hack Hasek on the ice at the same time equals very exciting hockey game, no doubt. Royals 417 says, great show tonight. If the border was open, I'd make the 12-hour drive tomorrow. Hopefully <laughs> one day soon. That's awesome, Royals. Appreciate that. Jay Servianto says, I'm going to buy your card, Joe. I love it. A.M. says, Joe Daly currently has 200 items for sale on eBay. Now, A.M., is that Joe Daly items or is that Joe Daly's ebay account where they sell on ebay because uh, they also are in just, the business yeah, yeah. i don't have that many listed <laughs> so that, those are joe daily items that are on ebay and my car uh, we're gonna do co- my i do a, a personal collection card of the day segment at the end of the episode you can all guess what i'm going to be showing but we'll show it off a little bit later uh let's see uh charles says were there any wha legends that don't get talked about tonight like the hype around Mark Napier, Mike Lee. Yeah, we've covered a lot of the guys from the WHA, which has been a lot of fun as Joe definitely has that old, uh, those old references to, to refer to. Rob Demare says, oh yeah, lots of value in the old Parkies, Joe. Joe did appear in In the Games, History of Hockey, a beautiful set from 2012-13. 2013-14, In the game Superlative, first six, nice cards also. Thank you, A.M., Rondell says, I'm with you, Travis. The 8 set is my favorite, but boy, oh boy, is it far to hi- hard to find them. Well-centered. Took me forever to find a nice Bobby Orr. No doubt. That is, I mean, that was the first year that Opeechee came back after being gone since the early 40s. Yeah. And and those cards are, Bernie Perrant, you share your rookie, years, your rookie year in terms of card sets, Joe, with one of your favorites, Bernie Perrant. Yeah, card, his card's worth a bit more than yours, though, Joe.
2: Yeah, I know I don't know why we played the same position. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it is notoriously the hardest Hall of Famer rookie card to find centered. Your card, I've got, I've got, well, I'll show them shortly, but they're they're actually pretty nicely centered. But you're right, Rondell. There's no doubt about that. Rob says Gretzky passing a million could happen. Condition sensitive card. No doubt, that is going to be an exciting uh, exciting week for hockey cards with those Gretzky cards that are going to sell. They're they're already broke they've already broken the records for them for their own for the, for the tops and the Opechi version. It will definitely be exciting to see what happens with them. So guys, we are we are buzzing through the evening here. We're <laughs> I I told you guys these shows go by quicker than you can think and when you got Joe telling all these stories, I mean, man, this has gone by super fast for me. So I'm going to just check out my notes here very quickly, make sure we've covered everything that I wanted to cover. Like we, we were going to talk. I wanted to take a minute, guys, and definitely talk about Dale Howard, Chuck, recently deceased, maybe the best Winnipeg Jet of all time, Team, you know, between him, Team Mussolini, Bobby Hall, Joe Daly. I mean, these are the guys. What did Dale Howard, Chuck, what was it? You know, I have a, I have, I, I, I collected Dale Howard, Chuck cards for a long time. I still add the odd one every so often what in your from your guys's perspective what what did Dale Howarchuk mean to hockey in Winnipeg and what how did Winnipeg respond when he recently fell ill and and passed away earlier uh this year Travis you want to you want to go or
0: well, like for me obviously uh um he was one of the superstars that I was able to watch and remember and uh I just think he um you know, carried himself so well. You never heard a bad thing about him. Um, I think he might have been one of the most underrated players of the time because um, there was somebody in Edmonton that kept winning the scoring race. But Dale, you know, you could argue he was, he was arguably the best passer of his time. Um, and, I, I, you know, I got to meet him a number of times and, uh, and spent some time with him. And he was just a genuine guy, like, you know, I don't. I don't know if he even knew how good he was or how much he meant to this city. Um, he certainly loved Manitoba. I, I'll give him that. And and uh, um, he even said that towards the end how much he appreciated Manitoba and everything. And um, I I just thought he was. I don't want to say legitimized the Winnipeg NHL team, because, but it, it's almost that fact because they started off so bad um, the first couple of years in the NHL, and then when he came along, it it almost gave them. You know that spark to be an, a legitimate nhl team and um he was sure fun to watch and uh and like i said f- fun to spend time with uh, after he retired even and uh i certainly enjoyed the conversations i had with him and uh, uh I, I part of me still says i i still can't believe he's gone so
1: yeah he very young when he recently passed away in his in his 50s i i believe yeah yeah that was definitely tragic and one of my favorite players of all time and uh It's one of those things I I haven't even really, you know, thought about it too much because it's just uh, it's 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 it it represents my youth to a large degree. I mean, Dale Howarchuk was the was the main man when I, you know, between the between the age of, I don't know, 10 years old when he was drafted by the Jets up until very re- you know up, up until you know I was a 25 year old type of thing he was he was uh, instrumental in being a, a youngster growing up in Winnipeg and you know I his rookie year the 82 83 Opeachy packs were some of the first ones that I was opening on a regular basis looking for that card and uh so I, I just wanted to i just wanted to spend some time you know out of respect for him to to discuss him with you guys a little bit joe what what do you uh what do you have to say about dale and his impact on the city and his untimely uh, passing
2: well, you know, I—I I mean, I don't have to tell you—you're a—you're a Winnipegger. I mean, we take a lot of things sort of with a grain of salt here, and I think that was probably the way uh, Dale got treated over the years. Um, so I don't think there's any question the talent level that he had. I mean, uh, other than Wayne in the West, uh, and even. Uh, you know when uh, when Mario come along, I mean, Dale to me was top four or five players in the game, and yet, you know, Winnipegers kind of just took it took it for granted that hey, Dale's a Jet, and and I mean, every year, hundred plus points for ten years in a row, uh, led his team in scoring every year from a, the, the rookie season on, um, and then like Travis said, as a, as a person. Uh, so down to earth, humble um, I don't think he uh, i don't think he felt that uh, he should be treated any differently than uh, than the fourth line guy and uh, and that's what you want as a teammate you you want that you want that teammate that's the best player on the team to feel like he's equal uh, to everybody else on the team and I think that's the way Dale was i mean he he was a leader. Uh, he made his line mates way better uh, players, and uh, and that's to me what uh, stardom is all about. Is when you can make the players and people around you better, uh, then I think you deserve the accolades. And I think that's the way Dale played the game. And and yeah, it's uh, it's it, it hurt it hurt to lose him. And I know what he meant to the Jets organization today, you know, having, uh, you know, the ability to uh, see a number of the young players uh, in the league he was coaching in and then his relationship with, with uh, Mark Shifley and, and then his relationship with Mark Chipman here. I, I know Mark took it really, really hard um, when Dale passed. and uh, um, But you know what? I, uh, he'll never be forgotten in this city and uh it's uh, it's just sad that uh, he's not with us any longer
1: yeah okay well said thank you for that joe um all right lots of more comments coming in so we're gonna we're gonna get through some of these uh, am says Chuck had a nickname minnie gretzky i knew him as we knew him as ducky we know him very well as ducky dave kaplan said Chuck set an, an, an assist record and i think am jumps in saying 57 uh yeah rob says yeah jeremy all of us you're right i i Forget, I don't know what that's in reference to. Sorry about that, Rob. But that's only three minutes ago, so it's something not too long ago. It'll come to me. Thank you, Rob. Um, Tiger says, "How much were PSA ten Gretzky's tops and Opeachy two years ago?" Well, I can tell you, Tiger, there's only two of each in existence, and the last Opeachy sold for four hundred and sixty thousand US or four sixty five. And the tops, I don't even know what that last sold for. So the records are already broken, and uh, we'll see. We'll see where they end. Very interesting stuff. Uh, top Shelf says, Dale was the was awesome. He's the reason I got into autographs. First star I've ever met. That's cool to hear. Davey, I, I agree with you here. Davey Snaps should have been named to the NHL Top 100. And that's just the way Winnipeg is treated in general from uh, people outside of Winnipeg, it seems. You kind of forget about Winnipeg. And I'm with you there. That was disappointing. That made that whole list uh, bunk in my mind. Dale, I met Dale twice. He was awesome with the fans. Yep, Dale was awesome. I met him a couple times myself growing up. And uh, what a guy! What a guy! Uh, I would exclude a few guys off that list. <laughs> yeah, where Dale could sit in for. You'd exclude Pronger and uh, Denny Savard. Arguments for sure. Arguments for sure. I want to go back up to a comment though that we had from Chris West. I want We got to talk a little bit about about, about the hobby itself here. So Chris says, what is each of your favorite hobby innovation? Anything that went away that you wish would come back? Who wants to take this first? Anything come to mind? Something you really like about? Because I did want to talk a bit about today's products versus the products of the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Is there anything today that you think is really neat, really cool?
2: Well, you know, I I still feel like there needs to be a little bit more for the entry-level kids. Um, you know, I always say that if you collect it as a kid, uh, you'll probably, uh, collect as an adult. If you never collect it as a kid, it's hard to turn a 40 or 50 year old guy into uh, a card collector. So, um, I, you know, I know that the products that are out there right now are beautiful and, and even the entry level, uh, product, uh, that Upper Deck produces for the hobby, uh, especially in hockey, uh, which is their strong point, uh, um, they're nice. They're nice, but uh, the the prices are getting to the point where uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, uh, Travis always said, Dad, that little kid standing on the other side of the counter with five bucks in his hand is as important as the guy standing beside him that's going to buy that $1,500 Bobby Hall set. And and we've tried to make sure that every kid that comes in the store is treated equally, uh, along with the, the the big spender. So it's just that I'm I think I'm seeing less and less of that young kid in the store than we used to see. Uh, and I'd like to I'd, I'd I'd like to be able to bring more of those kids in into the uh, fold. So uh, whether that's uh, part of uh, you know the evolution of of life and 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 the existence, uh, whereby you know prices on everything go sky high, and uh, uh, or whether uh, whether something can be done to, and yet you, and on the other hand, the kids are not stupid; they can get on on their uh, uh, you know computer, or iPad, or whatever they know what package is giving out the valuable card and which package is giving out the less valuable card. And, and so, um, as much as I'd like to have a, you know, a, a, a couple more entry-level products, uh, the kids know that, uh, not much is coming out of those packages or boxes. So I want, I want to have the expensive stuff. Well, you know, it's hard for, for a, a single mom or dad to come in and say, okay, you can have that $150 box, you yeah. know, whereas when you were buying your uh, 82 Opechie, it was 15 bucks a box and about 20 cents a pack. So it was, it was easier, even though the, the money was different back then, it was still easier for the kids to get involved. And then, uh, you know, I remember when we got started, I mean, the store was full of kids and, uh, and now, um, I would say that, uh, more than 50 percent of our customer is is uh is of the young adult or or older adult
1: yeah no no doubt and there's some comments that come up that are addressed that as well but let's go to davy's question i love it he says are there any current jets that will attract a crowd in winnipeg 20 years from now if they return to the city like dale or timu have done i mean Mm -hmm. mark shifley no i
0: mean Mark Shifley.
1: sorry trav say again I don't know if any of them have been here long enough yet. Um, what about Shifley?
0: Shifley might. Um, uh, you know, uh, I I think Dale and Timu are so attractive to fans, not only because they were, you know, good people, but they they accomplished so much. Um, now, not saying that any of the current guys won't, but, you know, Shifley might be a good example of somebody who, who plays here for 15 years and, and sets scoring records and whatnot you know, that could be certainly a guy. Um, if Hellabuck continues to do what he's done, I mean, obviously we're a little partial to goalies around our parts, but, um, you know, we, we had him in the store for a signing and he was by far the biggest crowd we've had for a current guy. Now, whether that would hold true down the road, I, I'm going to guess it's probably based on the success he has
1: here more than anything. Yeah. Okay. Well,
0: Let's, you, let's remember that
2: back in our day, the access that the fan had to us was a lot simpler, easier than it is today. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'd come out of the dressing room after a game and there'd be a lineup of people waiting for an autograph. So they could talk to you, you'd sign the auto, you, you know, people go to a game today, the players are underneath, they're parking underneath. There's no access to them. You, you can't even say hi to them. You you, so I think a, a lot of those things uh, that I mentioned pertain to the fact that
0: makes an attachment to the
2: the the, the the attachment to individual players and people is different. It's yeah. different a, because it, you know, like Travis says, we've experienced it because we've we've had the opportunity to bring a number of the boys into the store for a signing. Well, it the store fills up and they're waiting outside because. the as you know we're we're, we're not big but uh, uh just the opportunity to come and interact. and s- interact with that player is so important to the fan and and they've mentioned it here in Winnipeg many times that that's what's missing they say that interaction between the fan and the player and and uh, you know I don't know what it's like in other cities for for fans uh, being able to have access to the players, but certainly, I mean, if you go back to uh, uh, the Jets of the uh, of the '90s, they'd have their their carnival where where yeah. they'd be there, and their their wives would be there, and the fans would be there, and and so a lot more interaction, which also develops that. I love that guy. I love that guy. I want to see him. If he comes back 20 years from now, I want to go and say hi to him. And that happens with uh, certainly with Timo and, and did with Dale and, and, and of course it can't now, but that, that I think is one of the big reasons that uh, in, in answer to your question, it's hard to, it's hard to say.
1: Yeah. All right. Okay. So we're, we're running out of time here, guys. I'm going to whip through a few of these comments Uh, I like this LP says, Joe treats me with so much respect, very much appreciated. That's awesome. LP, uh, Charles says, I agree, Joe coming from a kid. I know so many kids across Canada that would be collecting cards if they were cheaper, really a shame how many will not be a part of the hobby due to that. I would direct them to Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons has a nice program going on where you can actually get entry level cards and there are some pretty cool cards in those packs too. So I think there are options out there. We just have to, you know, maybe just, uh, be a little open-minded towards the fact that you may not get the, uh, You know, the Connor McDavid autograph patch out of 99 sort of thing. (laughs) AM says, card collecting is like a game. It's a business. We are the last generation of collectors with less shows and now COVID interfering. I hope that's not true. But let's keep on going. Top shelf. Joe, what do you think of how autographs have changed over the years? You have a beautiful signature. I'm going to show one shortly. You can read every letter. But today's kids, it's an initial pretty much. I uh, thank you for the comment top shelf. We're just, we're going to keep on going though. AM thank goodness for internet and sports cards live. Thanks Jeremy. Thank you. AM like, you know, that, that's an, I was going to say, Joe, when you are talking about the fact that you don't have the, the, uh, the contact with the players anymore, maybe that's where sports cards come into play a little bit. They give us a bit of a feeling of, of having something of the players, even though it's, it's not a, a, a one-to-one relationship. Charles says sometimes, Things from the past are better, like card prices and how many kids were involved in the hobby and able to get those packs. Davey says, Timu wasn't here long. I respond to that by saying he didn't need to be there long. His impact was huge. He became my favorite athlete of all time very quickly. If you see over my shoulder right there, that's the uh, the new boss VHS tape right there that I kept from the old days. <laughs> AM says, been to Maple Leaf Garden, what an arena, don't like the new stadiums, all market and money, glad to have lived and benefit from old-time hockey. Chris, it's the same in San Jose as Winnipeg, Joe, some of the players stop and sign for fans, but most don't. Rob, Jeremy, hit all the all the points on this interview, great work. Thank you, Rob, that is very nice to hear. I'm glad we were able to. I'm looking at my notes, I got through everything I wanted to, so I'm happy to hear that you feel the same way, Rob DeMere. Too late for... Too late for more show. What what? there's no game on. Too late for more show. What's What, what there's no game on. I'm not sure what you're talking about, AM, but thank you for the comment. Terry says, this was an honor. Joe has a new fan for life. Thank you, Jeremy, Joe, and Travis. You are welcome, Terry. Great to have you as always. Great. Oh, I see. Just kidding. Great, Joe. Thank you, AM. You've been very interactive tonight. Really appreciate it. Okay, guys. Before we wrap up, I'm going to do what I call my PC card of the day. I throw that up there. I show a couple cards, one or two or three cards from my collection that relate to my guest or guests for the evening. So this was an easy one, guys. This is an easy one. First, I'm going to show you, this is my 1968 OPG number 188 Joe Daly rookie card in a PSA 8 holder. So you can see this is centered. This is Joe's rookie card. Look at him there. Look at that handsome <laughs> young man. Incredible haven't changed a bit. No, not at all. It looks a bit like Travis even. But what a great <laughs> card. I love this this year like we've talked about this is such a cool year. So vintage 1968 OPG Joe Daly rookie card. Love it. And then I also have this copy Joe. I brought this copy into you many years ago, now 10 15 years ago to get your autograph on it. I then sent it off to put it with my my PSA DNA uh Certified autograph, rookie collection. Obviously, I knew it was I knew it was real. I didn't need anyone to tell me, but I wanted it to be with the rest of the cards in my collection. And as was mentioned earlier, look at that autograph, guys. Look at Joe Daly's autograph. You just you just don't see that. And to everybody listening on podcasts later on, I'm showing you, I'm showing you how beautiful Joe Daly's rookie card is. If you want to see it, you're gonna to have to watch the video on YouTube. But what a signature, Joe. Love the card and it's a ni- it's nicely centered as well. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> so, that is th- those are my PC cards of the day. So, thanks everybody for that. I'm gonna run through a few more. Okay, it's now time for parting comments. I'm gonna run through those guys. I'll let you say some final words, Joe and Travis. I will say right now, it's been a honor, a privilege, a, a joy to have you guys on the show. This is episode 67. So, I mean, it's uh it's a long time coming for me. You know how I feel about you guys. I've known you to feel like my whole lives. Been I've kept in touch with you over the years. I've lived outside of Winnipeg for almost 20 years now. I keep in touch. I come see you. Uh, that'll continue as the years continue to go by. I'll be by the shop for sure. So I want to thank you guys for coming on, everybody watching. If you're not subscribed to the YouTube channel, please do so. If you've enjoyed the show tonight, hit the thumbs up button. Even if you haven't enjoyed the, the show tonight, still hit that thumbs up button. I greatly appreciate it. We're going to go through the final comments, final words from these guys, and then the show is over, and I remind everybody in 28 minutes or so, I'll be back for the after-hours show. Yes, we're going to bang off about three and a half hours of hobby content tonight. I'll be back with someone I grew up with in Winnipeg, David Kaplan, who, uh, again, grew up with him when we were youngsters. I haven't seen much of him for probably 30 years, if at all, but we've reconnected through the hobby. He's going to join me. That should be fun. And he actually, guys, he mentioned to me, he says he has memories of going into Joe Daly's sports cards and seeing me standing behind the counter. And I said, it's possible I made myself at home there in the late 80s, (laughs) early 90s. I never worked. He thought I worked there. I never worked there, but I hung out there quite a bit. And at some point, I think I got that comfortable where I would just walk behind the counter and look at cards and hang out. So maybe give you guys a hand even. All right. Let's see what we got here for final comments. LP says, beautiful card. Thank you so much. Jace Orvi says, innovation, comeback back Cooper That's, hey, you never know. You never know. Davey, this has been great. The dailies are great. People will see us soon. Wonderful comment. Thank you, Davey. Travis has the same haircut as Joe's rookie card. They don't have many options, these daily men, do they? Hey, who <laughs> might have talked? Who might have talked? Thank you, Tiger. Beautiful RC. Let's hope he looks like his dad. Fantastic signature, it sure is. Karen Asmondson, welcome to the show. It's always great to stop in at Joe Daly's shop. Legion Italia gives us seven rounds of applause. Thank you, Legion. Always an honor to have you watching. LP says, hopefully I can get a box from you for Christmas, Joe. Can't wait to stop back in from Luke. Thank you, Luke. Paul, good show again. Thank you, Paul. A.M., just a card store rat, isn't it great? Sure is. Dave Kaplan says, maybe Travis was on a break when I was there helping Joe. Filling in for you, Travis. I'll send you my invoice this much later. All right, so that is it, guys. Travis, Joe, again, thank you for joining me, taking the time tonight, taking the time the other night to meet up with me. Parting comments from you to the crowd, and uh, and we're gonna we're gonna end the show.
2: Well, I I want to thank you, Jeremy, for allowing us to uh, enjoy a, an evening uh, like this, uh, talking about something that uh, I think both of it are. Both of us are very passionate about, and and, and that's uh, that's the industry itself. And uh, I sure hope uh, all your viewers enjoyed us. Uh, I know uh, you know you're not going to uh, always hit a home run with everybody, but uh, we certainly try. We uh, we make our place uh, a comfort zone for everybody and anybody everybody's welcome everybody will get a hi hello when they walk in the door and hopefully we uh, tell some more stories so um, uh, I want to just express to to the fans and and to the collectors that uh, it's a great it's a great hobby and I think we have to keep that fact in it, it is it's a hobby it's it's a lot of fun yeah it's become Somewhat expensive uh, in, to a great degree, but uh, I've always said for over 30 years, by what you like and what you can afford, and hopefully uh, we'll see many of the viewers that uh, par- participated tonight, I hope they drop in and, and remind us
1: that uh, they saw this. And I, thank I, you. I hope they do too. Don't forget to th- I got on the ticket right now, everybody. There's the website for Joe Daly. Just go to joedaily.com. You'll find their address, their store hours, all that kind of stuff. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Joe Daily Sports. Travis, it's great. it's been great having you too. I know you – it's just nice to see you, buddy. Nice to see you. Anything from you, and then we're going to end this thing.
0: No, I, I – I just thank you. It, it's been fun. Um, I, 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 I get the privilege of hearing these stories every day, so it, it's, it never gets old for me. And uh, uh, if you want to hear more stories, come by. Joe's always happy to talk, so –
1: We learned that tonight for sure. We were at the two hour, six minute mark. The show, we did not have trouble filling in the the couple hours here, guys. Bobby Burrell says, love the stories. Great show. Thanks guys. Thank you, Bobby. Chris Bennett says, great show. Really fun watching Joe and Travis. All right, guys. Again, to everybody watching, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun, really special episode for me personally to have these guys join. Um, And uh, it's been fun to reminisce about the Winnipeg Jets, uh, all eras of the Jets, the hobby, all eras of the hobby, guys. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. The card collector says hi at the very end. Welcome to the show. And we are done. Joe and Travis, wait right there one second. And everybody else, we'll see you back up here in 23 minutes if you're going to watch After Hours on the same YouTube channel. Thank you, everybody, and good night. Seeking
0: the truth never gets old.